We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan commentary dwarf cast for series 2 episode 6 Parallel Universe. Uh, this is the first commentary that we're attempting to record entirely virtually uh, due to obvious reasons. Uh, but joining me over the virtual airwaves are Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And I'm Ian Symes and I forgot to say that. Uh, but yes, uh, do join us uh, as three men. We are the perfect place to people to talk about this particular episode of Red Dwarf. <laughs> uh, practice what you preach, eh? Uh, but nevertheless, we will we'll do our best. Uh, if you would like to uh, watch the episode along with our commentary, then you should sync up your uh, playback of your DVD or Blu-ray or digital file or VHS or whatever uh, at the end of these pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Hey, tongue-tied there. Or as the subtitles have it, pop music in brackets. I got theme music. It actually calls it the theme music. (laughs) That's wrong. (laughs) This yeah. is good. Did, um, have, has Danny ever like done this at DJ or something? <laughs> that would be I, nice. I that would be really good. <laughs> I think tongue tied is obviously a a, a thing <laughs> like, <laughs> that over over the years has become a sort of an out of control, growing beast uh, that kind of dominates anything to do with. This episode and Red Dwarf in general for a lot of people, or certainly the cat's character in general. Mm. But in and of itself, I do like it. Oh, yeah. It can be overplayed at times, and as we alluded to, over-relied on for Danny John Jewel's Q&As. Yeah, everyone's, every, every character's got it. I, like The cat's got tongue-tied, Lister's got curry, Rimmer's probably <laughs> got the salute and that face, and Crichton yeah. has your lying. Yeah, of, yeah, of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't die. It's probably not the worst. What I like about this is that in in my head, the canon is that that cat has heard this music in better than life, and therefore made an entire song out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of like um, my lovely horse being based on <laughs> something that turns <laughs> up as lift music. music. It must be like. It must be a real song, or the, at least the tune is real, because it's, there's various variations of it within the Red Dwarf universe. It's not just there. There is a plinky plonky version. There's the hotel version, the better than life version. What I do like about this is that it's it's kind of a symptom of the of the show getting a bit more confident. Like you know, the line is always that you know there's a moment in Crichton where you can hear the audience clicking with the show, and yeah. and here in like the last episode. They're dicking around with the title, title sequence yeah. already. Like, kind of, you can see them starting to push push things forward. And they're using up their entire pre-record time. Yeah, is this like the council digging up the road in March? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it's over so soon. Um, but yes, 
uh, what we normally do at the start of the episode when it, there isn't a song and dance routine is uh, point out where the episode came in the Pearl Poll, which is our most recent big all-episode survey, and it was number 36, yeah, uh, which was the the very limit of being in the bubble of uh, series 1 to 6, having had 36 episodes. It's the worst one of series 2, um, and it's dropped. it dropped two places in the five years since uh, the Silver Survey. But it's still, you know, the whole of series two is in that top thirty-six. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I, um, with both silver and pearl, the bubble did not remain unburst, did it? Yeah, there, there was some wrong placements uh, around the thirty-six mark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I just want to point out something about the exercise bike. I've never noticed until just now that it's got a silver H on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I've never yeah. noticed that ever. <laughs> Still in the era where they were really trying to do the the in-universe explanation of anything at all that Rima touches. (laughs) It's got like a novelty oversized shiny H. It's not just like a normal... (laughs) Because like the coffee cups and stuff have got H's on them. And they're the same H's that are on his head. Yeah, well, it's a safety safety measure. They don't want any any normal crew member thinking, oh, I'll use an exercise bike and injuring themselves. (laughs) Parking their ass down... Jumping, leaping onto the exercise yes. bike. <laughs> Ooh, an exercise bike. <laughs> it can happen. His health and safety got mad. Yeah. Uh, the thing of uh, Rimmer picking up girls by hypnosis <clears throat> probably doesn't play terribly well <laughs> in 2020. No. But it seemed like a, a harmless, quirky thing to do at the time. It was very much at the expense at the expense of Rimmer being sad and pathetic, and that's the only way that he can do it, rather than worrying about the woman's point of view. Yeah, Cat and Rimmer are very much um, two different types of incel before. (laughs) (laughs) It was a concept that was uh, first used in Son of Cliché. Not to this extent, it's sort of a passing reference to a book entitled A A Thousand and One Ways to Pick Up Girls by Hypnosis or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. It's actually the sort of... I mean, it does tie into the plot, but it's the sort of skit that I can imagine existing in the Dave era and it's Mm. kind of um, having a bit of a moan about it, to be honest. Not because of the subject matter, (laughs) but because of the like... It feels a bit bit like a bit, you know? Tapped on. yeah, Yeah, rather than like anything organic, it feels like a sketch and... It came from Son of Cliché, so there you go. Mm. The worm do stuff makes it worthwhile. It's really good. <laughs> Alice is just not playing along at all. <laughs> just <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> There's some very like uh, this scene, or maybe while they were filming this scene, was obviously when a lot of VHS pictures were taken, or publicity pictures that were used on the VHS. Mm. I'm getting constant kind of like, um, is it a Pavlovian response? <laughs> Just <laughs> thinking about the VHS cover. Yeah, well, that shot of him, uh, Lister with knitting needles, is used quite a lot. That's it. As yeah. one of the few sort of series two color. Nice pictures, and there's definitely one of uh, Rimmer on the exercise bike. Yeah. You <clears throat> probably won't go back to Earth, mate. 
<laughs> Spoilers. Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. I, there was a thing recently where there was a Twitter conversation on at Ganymede Titan. Uh, I say recently, it was probably about two months ago. <laughs> of, of all the times where the crew could have just got back to Earth but didn't. Yes. <laughs> like It seems to get more frequent in recent years. Like There's been so many occasions where they've had a working time machine that also travels in space and they've just they've just used it once for something else and then not it's not occurred to them that they could just well, when was the last fulfill time, their mission. When was the last time that Lister was actually narratively driven to go back mm. to Earth? When did he last mention, I want to go back to Earth? Because it was probably... It's a good question, and I'd say probably not in the Dave era. No, because not even the close. the the whole theme of sort of the end of the beginning, and there's there's a bit of it in the Promised Land, and there's a little bit of it in Skipper of Red Dwarf is home now. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even entirely sure. Like he he has a bit of a crisis in um, time slides, but I don't think there's ever a particular desire to go back to Earth much past the early 90s to be honest yeah Yeah. I think probably when um, in series 6 when Red Dwarf is lost they have a more imminent mission all of a sudden and I think from that point on I mean throughout series 6 and 7 the aim was find Red Dwarf throughout series 8 the aim was get out of prison and then that takes us up to the Dave era yeah I mean, to be fair, now I think about it, in Back to Earth, there was some sort of semblance that getting back to Earth might be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> True, but, but that concluded it's a with narrative outlier, him. let's say. <laughs> now, well, narratively, it concluded with, the, you know, he wasn't actively trying to get back to Earth, that was just a but consequence. Just, yeah, okay. uh, and then at the end of it, he's very much determined to stay put and find Kachansky, that gives him a new mission that obviously has formed a key part of the Dave era ever since. <laughs> Yeah, Kachansky continuing to be treated impeccably as a character. <laughs> nice shot. It is. Uh, we've been talking about anything but parallel universe, yeah. but you know what you're getting with. Nice picture-in-picture. Picture. I do like the th- I like the throwaway line. Don't ask me how. Like I can't be. I don't want to explain this. That's all we need. It works because of reasons. This is some great Holly stuff, actually. This is some quintessential Holly stuff. Yeah, in Norman's last ever episode, <laughs> there's a little still of the dwarf in the background as well. Of the model. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, there's the whole thing about um, Ringo being a really good drummer, <laughs> and uh, that was uh, John Hoare. Remember him? He did a big old investigation about the origin of that joke and also of Robin Doug's seeming hatred for Ringo yeah. or mocking ness of Ringo at least and the whole thing of there he wasn't even the best drummer in the Beatles being attributed to Robin Doug but it turns out that they had nothing to do with it whatsoever it was just a, it was an even older joke yeah search on G&T for the details of that yeah. I don't have it's a shame but it's it's good work and it puts that one to bed <laughs> Is that um, hazard tape around the airlock unique unique yeah. to this parallel ship? Yeah, I think this is. I think this is to differentiate it between the other one. Yeah, women put 
doesn't tape up, whereas men don't. It's that classic <laughs> battle of the sexes thing. Uh, some of the best guest casting um, the show's ever done. Uh, yeah. Angela Bruce is brilliant in most things that she's in, but yeah. as yeah, it doesn't get much better. She like the physical resemblance, the scouseness. It's all there. Yeah, it's perfect. Susan Burtish is great as well. So there's that whole story that they tell in the documentaries or on the commentaries where she just didn't really do anything in rehearsals. She was just like learning the lines and going through it and they were all very worried. And then on the night she just did a pitch yeah. perfect rimmer that she'd been basically studying Chris for the whole of that time and just turned it on on the night. She did proper action Which is, stuff. to be fair, it's fairly sensible to kind of sit like to not release it until it's <laughs> yeah. ready. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like... It depends how much you want to take the story like literally but you know she could have also said oh by the way don't worry i'm i'm going to turn it <laughs> yeah <laughs> she could have fought one <laughs> rather than making them I like, shit themselves i like the slightly more colorful leopard lager <laughs> for ladies for ladies ladies like color and they they like being pink and having uh, frilly uh, patterns around them as uh, we've seen with the scutter just before yeah. <laughs> To be fair, that would make the scooter more efficient if it had a frilly bottom, because that means it could do the mopping <laughs> as well as it could dust the floor. It's just, it's just purely it functional. Is, it, do you know what? It's a funny, it's a funny old episode. This, like, <laughs> obviously, we should be getting straight into gender politics because that's exactly <laughs> what we should be talking about. But it's got some really lazy stuff peppered in. But then, when you actually look at the the female versions of the two characters, they're not. They're not lazy at all. They're literally just the same person, but they just happen to be women. Yeah. A lot Which of is... it is very noble in its intentions, I think, to point out that male behaviour, when transposed onto women, looks weird. Looks weird. And that only, that only highlights how weird male behaviour is. Yeah. I think it gets away with a lot yeah. if you view it through that prism. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Fact that Arlene is so unpleasant later on, <laughs> which we might get to. Is <laughs> and I think that's yeah, and I think that's down to the obviously the the the, the laying pipe of the <clears throat> whole picking up by hypnosis thing. It just kind of like shows how weird that can be when it's the other way. Yeah, around. maybe this episode is is massively underrated because it is. It's it, this episode gets a kicking, like almost yeah. in a received wisdom y sort of a way. Um, yeah. In a way it's that one Meltdown of those, has escaped. <laughs> it's one of those that I think Doug, at least, if not Rob as well, has said is one of his least favourites, Yeah, I think. And that affects people's perceptions. It does, yes, massively. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I guess as also as like a prequel <laughs> to Dad. Dad being something that would pretty glad didn't happen although the stuff that did end up getting released on body snatcher was really good um yeah yeah it was that they only got sort of 10 minutes into the script and realized that they'd run out of yeah. <laughs> of good stuff so if they'd have persevered and carried on who knows what it would have ended uh, up that's like. quite admirable yeah but and then the best bits of it ended up in the last day and looking down, Danny looking right down the barrel of the lens there, yeah. doing a joke straight to audience. What's the, uh, what's the, the term for that? The breaking no, the fourth wall? There's definitely uh, the term of like when a, a villain uh, happens in Castrovalva, I think. And the side. Looks, uh, just... oh, I almost um... feel like it's, it's Latin. 
But anyway, yeah. I'm adding nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you've done is you've hindered me because now I'm going to spend <laughs> the rest of the time. <laughs> I, I do that to make myself look better. Dramatic irony. So, uh, yeah. Soliloquy. Soliloquy. Okay. So soliloquy. A-level English. <laughs> 16 years ago. Yeah, but to be fair, didn't you like pass that by writing about Red Dwarf, or was that your degree? Oh, that was my degree. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a feedback Scraped loop. Scraped <laughs> that. <laughs> so, in the female universe, uh, Debs smuggled a dog on board instead of a cat. What does that say about gender politics? <laughs> Fuck knows. Well, it's the opposite, isn't it? It's like it goes against the cat lady stereotype. Yeah, that's true. Cats are seen as more feminine yeah. and dogs as masculine. Although though... in reality it's probably just we're overplaying the opposite gender thing. Let's um, just get a dog in because that'll be fun. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. otherwise the plot line for the cats would be they just fuck for 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true actually. Yeah. Especially since he already kind of pointed out that that was his main drive at the moment. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a cat, a dog, and a rat so far as possible things they could have brought on board, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I still haven't processed what I saw on that recording. Though. I know it has since been packaged into an episode. There's two things in this scene that have tied into things that we've said earlier. Um, their glasses have H's on them, and they're relatively normal-sized H's. And the disco um, is playing tongue-tied, an instrumental yeah. version of tongue-tied. I have never noticed the heads on the glasses either until today. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's a very it's subtle crazy. effect. It's crazy. But they're great big fucking whacking H's. Yeah, I don't everything. Know. As apart from whacking phoenixes. <laughs> <laughs> great big whacking phoenixes. <laughs> I like how this stupid hypnotizing trick was starting to work there as well. Like you kind of meant to think, ah, it's bollocks; it would never even work, but it was working on him. I, I don't know if it's slightly out of character for R. Rimmer not to be up for it <laughs> because he's. It's a bit like a dog chasing a ball. Checkers, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> checkers can't be choosers. I was going to say, checkers can't be boozers. <laughs> checkers. <laughs> Just in peace. See, okay, so there's an issue here then that the female version of Rimmer is like dialed up quite significantly compared to You'd him. hope. <laughs> so, like, why is, why is her behavior. In fact, actually, it's probably true of. No, it's not true of Debs, really. She's pretty much identical. Mm. But like, Rimmer wouldn't yeah. wouldn't behave like this. I don't think That's he would true. think it. He wouldn't behave like that. That's true. Yeah, it's not a an equal comparison. For something has happened in life that's made yes. Arlene different. And of course, the story needs her to be like that in order for him to. He doesn't actually confront it, but in order for the audience to confront his weirdness. Yeah, that's the thing. There needs to be conflict between the two crews, and like obviously, Debs and Dave get on really well. And the the conflict comes that they end up getting on too well. (laughs) And so, like we say, by having a dog instead of a cat, then that gives you more. And so I guess they, if Arlene and Arnold were just getting on perfectly well, then there wouldn't be much comedy or drama happening. It's true. But but even Lister's kind of disgusted by the stuff that Deb is doing. 
even though that's stuff he does. But he's he's the, he's got the most sort of the most balanced in terms of the shit she does is weird. The stuff I do is weird. Like yeah, stuff I he's do just literally looking at stuff he'd do, and it's yeah. like oh, I don't like that. That's that's the me squared problem he's going through. Whereas yeah. Rim has ended up with um, a, like, no, so a psych- as psychotic as before. The point is to emphasize uh, the hypocrisy of the yeah. you know differing standards that we hold men mm. and women to. But yeah, by making Arlene such an exaggeration, that maybe undermines it a bit because she's not yeah. acting in in a normal Rimmer way. Yeah, it's quite a surpri- quite a surprising topic for the eighties. You'd expect it feels like more of a mid nineties thing to tackle. Yeah, this is pre kind of new lad. Yeah, pre new lad and pre. It's kind of power post, like yeah. yeah. Also, kind of post the start of alternative comedy, where things were starting to head towards the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. It's a curious, like obvious. This is a really trite thing to say about anything, but it is a product of its time, and needs to be judged in there. But simply in this case, if you were to write a any kind of treatise on gender politics and the, the roles of men and women and the differences and similarities, no matter when you write that, you would be referencing the current way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. So obviously there's bits in here that aren't relevant or, and aren't right for 2020, but if you were to do this whole concept again today, it would be very different. And in fact, I, <laughs> I think this concept of swapping male and female isn't really compatible with current thinking not on gender yeah uh really but probably let's not <laughs> get into that too much. um i think it's probably it's fair to say to be fair to this episode that yeah all, all that stuff being said about it being a product of its time and a lot of it seems wonky in this in, in kind of through a modern lens but it's it was still pushing things in the right direction by yeah. and large yeah, yeah. the The central point that it's making is a good one, yeah, and a correct one about the double standards that we have. And we haven't mentioned the other female equivalent. Oh yeah, Patty Hayridge. What <laughs> her first to her? episode? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they, yeah, the two Hollies ending up shagging is amusing as well. It really is. I have no idea how that would work, but <laughs> um, well, you do get male and female peripheries <laughs> accessories <laughs> for computers, and I'm sure there's something to do with like AI somehow combining and birthing a new AI automatically, which will I'm, I'm sure that's Terminator Two Judgment Day. Well, yeah, <laughs> increasingly. So it AI became self-aware programs. It became self-aware and then decided to have sex with itself. <laughs> and then had a long weekend. <laughs> yes, it's um. So I watch when I, when I was watching Red Dwarf. I'm I'm like when I was properly paying attention to series one and two, I'd already like watched three through to five. I think mm-hmm. uh, it was before series six. And um, so when I did actually finally get around to this episode. I was really, I, re- I knew the show, show really well, and I was really surprised to see Hattie show up. It was like it was weird, like it was like two different worlds colliding almost because that 
the separation of series one and two and the rest in my head was so big. Mm. Um, it's very strange. You don't have to have a rather dry sense of humour to live here, but it certainly helps. <laughs> it's the same on <laughs> Arlene's bunk. However, on Arlene's bunk um, has uh, head, newspaper headlines, Arnie does it best, and Arnold on top. <laughs> so they didn't change that, but then a 1988 uh, one-inch videotape shown on a CRT probably would have been fine. Yeah, didn't expect it to be artificially uh, up-resed. Oh yeah, you're watching the Blu-ray. I am. Have you noticed any difference whatsoever? Mm, Is there anything noteworthy? No. <laughs> I, I guess like it's basically just a way to tell TVs to stop trying to do it themselves, isn't it? It's like, hey, look, I'm mm. giving you a 4K image. Don't fuck about with it. Just show what I'm giving you. Like, don't try and upscale it yourself. <laughs> yeah. And that's about the only thing it kind of seems to do. The colours are a bit more vibrant in places. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's just... more just for the general pass that they had, like, doing yeah. other things. But it does, it brings up and highlights... Um, issues with the originals that you don't necessarily yeah. see on DVD. But then we said the same about DVD, that the DVD revealed things that yeah. we didn't have on VHS, like all those split-screen lines in Series 1 split screen that you just lines, yeah, and can't the, um, see on VHS. The transfer um, problems with like the first half of Series 6, that's my favourite. Yeah. Cutting, cutting those off, and it, you didn't actually notice on a... Because I watched a lot of them on a CRT... And mm. they're outside of the range, but, uh, but then on as DVD, soon as you so, yeah. get them on a laptop or whatever. But they fixed those on this, didn't they? Yeah, new transfers of that. Yeah, which is which is nice. This is... And I'm assuming like the main advantage you're going to get, like I don't know how upscaling algorithms work or how they worked when they did it, but I know there's a lot of there's a lot of AI side of things that actually does a decent job of recognizing what's text and recreating the the detail quite well. Mm. You can do it with like still images quite a lot. So I'm imagining, if anything close to that, then you know anything that with letters on it and stuff would would start popping a bit more. Would look quite good. It's pretty amazing actually what can be done with upscaling at the moment. It's almost like this release was done probably a at the wrong time if it'd been yeah. left a few more years there's probably going to be some crazy stuff that can happen in a few years time well, I'm sure <laughs> they might just <laughs> triple dip yeah well yeah I mean why not give it another 10 years and you know it's fine to release another set isn't it it's kind of what the cycle goes yeah. like well any physical media yeah. is fine by me at this stage Red Dwarf this is I mean let's let's not think about it too much <laughs> you can see the strings pulling the skirt <laughs> yeah well they're really sharp on this version that I'm watching yeah. beautiful <laughs> strings <laughs> I wonder if Holly survived his computer rushes <laughs> he's had ointment <laughs> little lanolin lanolin based thing and it's a weird, actually going back to that that Hattie appearing in this episode, it is very strange considering that the, the, the animosity that was obviously surrounding that that change 
the fact that they were put in the same room and had to put like the perform together where Norman was probably actually no at this point there was no they wouldn't yeah they wouldn't there was have no idea it, it was what made it her perfect for this episode was what pissed off Norman long term because like she was brought in to be a female equivalent of Norman Lover and yeah. obviously that's how lazily she'd been described on the circuit because they were both deadpan stand-ups yeah, <laughs> and that was it. the only similarity between them really uh, but yeah she was brought in to be the female Norman Lovett and then he was pissed off that they'd cast a female Norman Lovett and then she was literally cast in his role right yeah, yeah. so yeah I got the timelines a bit jumbled there <laughs> it happens there's a lot of time travel in Red Dwarf I do enjoy this. this massive callback to Future Echo yes this very is awesome. unusual very unusual yeah. it almost brings it almost feels like it brings this era of Red Dwarf to like to its full circle, and at this point, like yeah. <laughs> the universe changes basically. Like we we switch over. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. Like, like the twins are never mentioned again. Like the better than life stuff's never mentioned again. It's almost like this is a continuity that is just wrapped up now, and we move on to another one. Yeah. And this, and despite that, like that, clearly the intention was that this is setting up the next series and it's going to flow directly in and you know the plot of this is going to go to the next which was also the original intention for series one when it was going to end with confidence and paranoia with the cliffhanger of Kachansky's back yeah. so you know series two would start with the Kachansky episode series three was supposed to start with the lister as a dad slash mom episode and, it didn't and then they twice. just abandoned it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the interesting time... how many sort of loose threads have just haven't been like how many had to yeah. be sort of like tied up very quickly as a result of budget or constraints or you know like some other reason where they've just gone oh we mm. can't do that we can't do that and we know about so many of these lost threads and these lost potential ideas that are just had to be cut off because reasons. Well, interestingly, um, so obviously we've just had the promised land and Doug said that part of the reason he wanted to do that was that it was the cat people and what happened to the cat people was a big question that he wanted to answer. And he's hinted in interviews that if they were to do more specials, which given what's happened since (laughs) the last one was made, who knows, who knows when anyone's going to be back in the studio to do anything. Um, But if we were to do more, he'd want to, do the same sort of thing and pick up loose threads. So Jim and Bexley is potentially potentially yeah. a future plot. Mm. I mean that's that's rife, isn't it? Like there's loads loads of stuff you could do there. You could you could, you know, create a whole new show. Like it's 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 one of those threads that's just never been pulled up. It would be um it would It's be like if it if Red Dwarf was Doctor Who and we had big finish and new adventures and stuff like that like other things there is so much so many gaps that could be filled in and like the smegazine was the closest that we got having the smegazine had ongoing strips of you know the adventures of ace rimmer uh strips with jake bullet and Dwayne dibley set in the back to reality universe the inquisitor as a regular yeah uh the adventures of mr flibble androids (laughs) as a as a running thing it's like that is well, the... That's where things could go if if things get weird with Red Dwarf, which I'm kind of not well, sure I mean, what I want to happen. They've already pillaged some little... I mean, I say pillaged. There's been some shared details between Smagazine, Extended Universe stuff, and <laughs> yeah. what Doug's done. So, yeah. you know, why not? It was all official, wasn't it? It's probably all GMP. Article, article coming soon. <laughs> if, if and when. Maybe. 
Uh, so that was uh, that was series two. That was the last of our series two commentaries. Fucking was right. Like there is one more episode from the bubble left. The bubble. The bubble. Uh, so we might save that. For I a think bit. so. <laughs> because we've got we've we've got a bit of a stretch ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, series two, uh, one of the best series IMO. Uh, it's always it's. One of those that I I always kind of prefer the sort of series three to five era overall, but series two just from the quality of the episodes yeah. raises it above most of the others. Mm. It's the quality of the scripts and the performances. Yeah. Even though obviously I like Crichton, <laughs> I like Robert Llewellyn, and I like Hattie Hayridge. It's Norman's best series by far. Easily his best work yeah. of the series was series two. There's a certain feel to it as well. I do. I, I really like. I really like the series one and two. Feeling it make, makes you feel more like you're watching a classic sitcom than mm-hmm. than uh, what comes after. It's, it almost feels like a different show, really. But um, it feels very comf- like very cozy to me. But yeah, I've always loved two. It's always been five and two wrestling for top position for me. Um, and I don't think you could ever pick one over the other because they are two different shows, really. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because the series two is the best of that type of Red Dwarf, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, it's, it's almost certainly a... the best that they could have wrung out of the limitations they had, um, or you know that, that they'd that, set I themselves. That, yeah, that that direction, you know, with a, a lot of things, like even down to like costume, you know, sets and stuff. It's an Setting. interesting thought of what would have happened if they hadn't decided to like how many more stories. Could they have done in this particular setup without expanding the cast to include Crichton, and without yeah. changing the sort of look and feel, and sort of bending the, their own rules on aliens to have gulfs, etc. Yeah, yeah. How far could it have gone? <laughs> you know, there, there, it, there, there is there is a certain um, certain type of person that would have wished that Red Dwarf had always. You know, continued that and hadn't gone off in the kind of the the direction it went in, mm. um, and I would never kind of side with that side of things. But it would definitely be interesting, probably. Yeah, simply because we years. wouldn't want to, we wouldn't want to be rid of anything that <laughs> yeah, came no, after. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like an it's like a a good episode of Red Dwarf. Really, is that there was too much squeezed in, in that you would want to see lots of the different ideas expanded out into their own episodes mm-hmm. stuff like that would have actually like to have seen maybe four series of of 80s red dwarf <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> it does feel like yeah it does feel like an 80s 90s divide even though it's not because series three was late 89 but it definitely yeah. feels that way yeah i mean series three and is that's down to like the quality of the cameras and the quality of the uh the tape and stuff like that yeah well funnily enough isn't three all set all the exact same gear yeah, like same same location. It's it's still know. Manchester. Yeah, uh, but I think um, I think Ed Ed By alluded to this on one of the recent much better commentaries that are available <laughs> these days <laughs> because they have Rob Grant and Paul Ed By on them. Yeah, uh, but he alluded to the fact that some of the cameras had been upgraded or the oh, tape well, stock really had been upgraded or something had changed. That's really uh, because three looks like nothing else. Um, yeah, and I guess we'd always kind of 
assumed that the three three was a pure production design shift, just because mm. they'd they'd stayed in um, Ox- uh, Oxford Road. Oxford Road. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, yeah, there's nothing to nothing to suggest. Uh, Oxford Road was was active for many years after that, wasn't it? So there's no reason yeah. to think that it wouldn't have had new kit and stuff. So it's it's interesting to think about. Ed, Ed Bynes needs to write a book, literally for like twenty people. It'd be tw- twenty people will buy this book. <laughs> we'll just <laughs> tell. But he's always the, the one on those commentaries that has the best memory for the nuts and bolts of how yeah. each episode was made and how each element was brought together. He always remembers everything. And he also cues up and points out his own good work. It's like, oh, there's a brilliant <laughs> mix coming up. Here. Oh, look at that mix. That's amazing. So I look yeah. forward to our 12-part interview. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking weird. <laughs> well, he's not. He's not doing much else. He's just. He just yeah. does commentaries every. Who knows? Every Sunday, he can do one. <laughs> But I think yeah, series two is definitely the like for how young that show was. The the premises inside that just that one series were really, really, really adventurous and daring. Mm-hmm. Like messing with like the whole sort of you know like a, essentially like a mystery plot and you know and sort of mutiny and all the rest of it and all kind of the stasis leak and better than life and these kind of really huge concepts and like like really quite bold for yeah. you know a quite a young show well the truly great like you know the the, the, the really great long-running sitcoms uh, obviously you've got the you've got all the, the good elements there from the beginning but like to, to to settle into the quality that they manage a series two after six episodes yeah for a show that would end up be you know, obviously becoming a very long one uh, that's that seems quite kind of extraordinary really um it, especially for the, all the different kind of stuff they were trying to do, like f- settling into like basically six. Uh, the series two refined, refined like how you make this show properly funny, and then series mm. three comes along, and this is how you make the show um, good sci-fi and look amazing, and then that's it. Three years, you basically nailed every single part of the show, and it's just about iterating on it from then. Yeah, like, it's incredible to think, and that's that was all done in the eighties. <laughs> it was all done in well, obviously rehearsals and everything for series one, and the writing yeah. and everything took place in eighty seven. But um, it all happened in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Series one started airing in February, and series two was done and dusted by November. Yeah, or December maybe. Yeah, it's it's crazy. They're, they're basically, yeah. Three three pilot series, I guess, and then three three is what kind of cemented the direction they're going. It's 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 a it's a. I mean, I'll be brave. I'll say this: it's a it's a really good um, TV show. It's Red Dwarf. It's, it, yeah. it's it's very it's very good. Controversial. I know, I know, but you know, I've got nothing else but to sit here and make controversial opinions. <laughs> well. uh yeah, we are just still locked in our homes. I mean, like ideally, we would have got our asses in gear to set this up towards the start of lockdown. Now, not now that it's beginning to ease, but while we are in lockdown, we are fully intending to do a lot more of these on a more regular basis over the coming weeks and months. Now that we've got a little setup that works for us, and um, well, we haven't got much uh, social plans <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Um, 
thank you so much for joining us on this occasion. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you uh, stay tuned to Ganymede and Titan and follow us on Twitter. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But until next time, from me, Capsi and Danny. Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye.